Scripture today is from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, one of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who escaped, those who had survived the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They replied, the remnant there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard those words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I am glad that Ashray is here today. I want to thank each of you who has made contributions toward his seminary education. Um, this week he got his grades and you folks did extremely well in seminary last year. Uh, your support and your uh, companionship uh, he's been talking to me in numeric terms, 98% here and 91 there, but what I'm hearing in his numeric words is uh, A minus or an A average in his first year of seminary. And I thank all of you for making that possible. Uh, we encourage you to continue individually to support him without diminishing your uh, pledges to the church until we can reach a point where a student minister is in our budget we need to do what we do out of pocket and individually so thank each of you who have been doing so and thank you Ashray for justifying our gifts um, Ashray is just growing to the point that uh, I, I don't know if he will be the first he, Ashray is in a seminary where if we go back a few years ago, about 20 years ago, a, a man graduated from United Theological Seminary and in three years was the president of United Theological Seminary. So all things are possible, Ashray. Um, thank you. You've heard the reading of the scripture, and I commend uh, John on his Hebrew pronunciations. Uh, the sermon is entitled Fasting and Praying. Uh, Nehemiah, both the book of Nehemiah and the prophet Nehemiah are known for one thing most of all and that is the rebuilding of Jerusalem's wall. It's an epic accomplishment where Nehemiah, along with the prophet Ezra, come together and lead the Israelis in the rebuilding of the wall and all of the military things involved in that and all of the organizing things, all the engineering things, uh, all of the 
international relationship because Nehemiah rebuilt that wall with the support of half a dozen kings of various nations. It's an inspiring message, but I believe the key to the story and to the book resides right here in chapter one. Chapter one begins with an inquiry. Nehemiah's brother has returned from the field and, and he asks, well, how are our people in Jerusalem doing? It's at that point that his brother reports the demolishing or the deterioration of Jerusalem's wall. And then Nehemiah does a very human thing. He cries, he sheds tears because he loves his people and he loves his city. And so he sheds some tears and then comes what I regard as the most critical point in the life of Nehemiah or the book. Nehemiah fasted and prayed. Okay. Nehemiah fasted and prayed and at this point everything that is to happen later in the book becomes possible. Becomes not only possible, but reliable. When you go before God, you immediately change the range of what your possibilities are. Uh, and, and yet, even as I speak this term, fasting and praying, I fear we've got a blind spot. I fear that we hear the phrase, but don't necessarily fully hear the phrase. And so I wanna do a spiritual vision test with you. Uh, I'm going to give you a word or a phrase and invite you to respond with its partner. Diet and you can say it out loud, you're right. You don't have to whisper when you're right. Diet and exercise, okay. Peace and, peace and quiet. Liberty and, liberty and justice. Now there's a couple of tricky ones, 8.30 folks caught me in. Salt and, salt and pepper. The 8.30 folks were deeply spiritual and so they said salt and light. Assault and assault and battery. There's no trick questions here. Hamburger and French fries. Milo's got it. Thunder and neat and neat and clean. Yeah, neat and clean. And for the country folks, road hard and put up wet, yes, rode hard and put up wet. I learned that phrase from the general minister and president of the disciples of Christ, rode hard and put up wet. Uh, horses need to cool off and, and get, get themselves situated before they go back in the barn, all sweaty and, and they can catch, uh, as Merle, they can catch pneumonia if you don't, uh, brush them down and dry them off. I said all that and I believe the test revealed what I suspected. 
I, I believe when we hear the, pra- the phrase fasting and praying, we only partially hear it because we've got a blind spot. We have taken the word fasting and not allowed it to stand as something different than prayer, but as a component of prayer as we talk about it. Fasting is hidden on the page, hiding behind prayer. And in fact, when we say fasting and praying, we usually are actually saying fasting or praying. And the or is typically we are praying instead of fasting. I'm talking about we, I'm talking about modern day Protestant people, particularly here in the United States. We've got some reasons why we don't have a comfort level with the terminology or the practice of fasting. And yet it's there. It's there approximately 40 times in your Bible, fasting linked with praying, not as a piece of your prayer, but as a preparatory discipline to help your prayer life be more complete. The first seems to be a kind of a Protestant or a mainline Christian bias. That is, we associate talk about fasting with them. Them who are evangelicals, uh, non-denominational, Pentecostal, those folks who are not as thoughtful and reflective as they worship and serve as we are. It's that extreme out there kind of understanding of faith according to what some of us think when we think of fasting. We put it in a place we put anointing with oil. We put it in the place where we place washing of each other's feet. There are some things that we're just too dignified to do. That's one of our reasons for not fasting. One is we may not have confidence in our understanding of what it means or how it works. A lack of understanding. Another is some of us just have not yet bought into the notion of denying ourselves of anything at any time. I ought to be able to love God and have everything I've got and everything I can get uh, is the thought process, particularly of Western culture. Not into self-denial. Others have cited medical reasons which have some merit but also have limitations. You can fast no matter what your medical condition, there are just ways of doing it. If we understand it's a spiritual practice, it's not a scientific thing that you must do exactly the same thing everybody's doing, you can always find a way of expressing yourself spiritually if that's your intent. Fast doesn't have to be 40 days in the wilderness with not a drop of water or a bite to eat. Before I go any farther, I've got to confess. I don't fast a whole lot more than you folk fast. 
I don't fast nearly as often as fasting would profit me. But I believe in fasting, I trust in fasting, and I understand it to be something that God has called forth into our spiritual world. If we would fast, fasting would serve as the entryway to our prayer. Prayers which often are routine and just a demonstration of our vocabulary before God. If we would fast, we would have more reason to trust the result. And I'm coming to why that might be. Fasting also can empower us. Uh, those who have done fast, particularly long fast, often report, perhaps usually report, that at first my mind was on when can I get something to eat. But after I got beyond that and got into the fast, I strangely felt a surge of energy and a clarity of mind. Empowerment that comes essentially from clearing the deck. How many know that a meal is a better meal when you clean the table before you set the table. Think about fasting as cleaning your spiritual table. Finally, fasting is an act of obedience because God repeatedly in scripture through the words of the prophets and even the words of Jesus Christ, they direct us to fast. If I had not said any of that other stuff, that's reason enough to do it. God said do it, so we ought to do it. Don't let this be for you an all or nothing kind of thing. Don't be either one who doesn't fast at all or one who always fasts. Understand it as a spiritual resource at least be aware that this useful tool is in your spiritual toolbox. Uh, an understanding of that empowerment and that preparation function of fasting, I discovered in reflecting on my high school's football team. Chicago Vocational High School, uh, Overlapping the time that I was a student there, won the public league championship four consecutive years in Chicago out of more than 64 high schools in Chicago. And I believe the secret weapon, one of the secret weapons besides a great team with a great coach, was pep rally. Before every big game, we were summoned to the auditorium and the band was there and the team was there and the cheerleaders were there and we revved ourselves into a state that assured the victory. Understand fasting as a spiritual pep rally, getting yourself revved up for what God's going to do next in your life. And understand that that reference to sports is not limited to a high school football team, but look back over two years of COVID, you'll hear football players and basketball players and soccer players of every level of 
excellence say our game was not as good when the stadiums were empty. Fill the bleachers for Jesus by your fasting as you get ready to pray. Now some of my reasoning is faulty if we apply it to God, and I'll confess that because God is never needing to be strengthened by us. And so we're not trying to rev up God's capacity by our fasting, uh, but God is aware of our investment or lack of investment in our prayer, and God's blessings sometimes coincide. God will not give a quart container a gallon of blessing. Before we see the doctor, or sometimes when we go to the clinic, we are directed to fast. And it occurred to me that as the people of God, we ought not be more willing to fast for Dr. Smith than to fast for Dr. Jesus. And so as I take my seat, I leave you with that. If we are willing to fast before a doctor's appointment or a lab test, why not prepare ourselves as completely as possible to commune with our God?